Hey, well, I am very excited today to introduce our guest speaker. And we had the idea when we were brainstorming, what do we do for Father's Day in 2016? And I said, man, you know who I'd really love to come is like my spiritual father. Well, what is that, right? I was like, well, I went to church for the first time when I was 21, walked into the back and was freaked out that I was there. My life was at rock bottom. And uh, there was a pastor of that church named Les Welk, Shoreline Community Church. And, and uh, over the years, I followed his example. Uh, he shaped me in the way I lived my life open and had an open door and invited people into our home and did ministry over the course of the years. In my first youth pastorate that I was sent out to, to do in Spokane, he came and uh, did the first service. It was back in that day when you became a pastor in a church, they did an installation service. The weirdest thing ever, right? When you think back to that. But he came and preached in Spokane and installed me. He did this sermon where the Bible, Jesus washed people's feet. He washed my feet that day. Do you remember that? I remember at that moment, at the end of his message, when he's washing my feet, looking down and realizing I wore a suit at the time, right? I realized my fly was down. And I'm on a stool with him washing my feet. And I'm like, this is awkward because there's damage visually that's going to happen. So, uh, you know, the memories go on. And, uh, but, you know, we have somebody who sets an example for us in our faith and the way we live our faith. And now the way we even like did church and named our church Open Life, it's all shaped back to what was modeled for me. And I thought, man, what a better Father's Day than uh, to have Les welcome and share as my spiritual daddy's going to take the stand and do the talk today. So welcome, Les Welk, today. Thank you, Thad. What a pleasure to be here today. You're doing well on Father's Day? Good, good. There's a few of you who are, but that's okay. The rest of you will catch up by the end of the sermon today. I do appreciate the chance to come, uh, Pastor Thad and Dana and their family, both of their families uh, attended our church. I was pastor to their parents. And uh, to watch people go out and follow on to the call of God in their lives after they've sat under your leadership and ministry is honestly one of the greatest satisfactions a pastor can ever have. And at the time when Pastor Thad and Dana got together, <laughs> we said, how did Thad ever get that great girl? <laughs> Dana was kind of the charm girl of the youth group, and she served on our staff, and Thad had a fabulous voice, sang in the traveling choir, and when they got together, it really was a match made in heaven, and it shows in them and their children I hope you tell them that you love them often. They're, they're the ones who are serving you and leading you into God's way. And uh, in fact, today on Father's Day, would you just take a minute to say thanks, Pastor Thad and Dana, and happy Father's Day, Pastor Thad. Do it right now, would you? Awesome. I'd like to speak to you today on Father's Day about our Heavenly Father, and I want to use a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament is rich in its teaching about our Father, 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, I'm going to begin. It reads, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you, saying, destroy him. The everlasting arms of the Father. If you ever have a fallback position in life, let it be the one that lets you fall into the Father's arms. You can do it when things are going well, You can do it when things are going not so well. You can do it when you're hanging on to the end of a rope and you wonder what's going to happen when I let go. You can do it if you're falling backward and you don't know where you're going to land. You can do it when you're leaping forward and you're moving ahead. In fact, I remember when I was a young dad, our middle son, Matthew, who texted me today, Dad, thanks for being an example of what it means to follow Jesus and love Jesus. Again, greatest thing you can say to a dad, in my estimation. And when he was a little guy, we had a two-story house, and he would come down the first set of stairs onto the landing, swing around on the railing, and then if I was standing there, he would just launch right off of that landing and jump six stairs down. He never questioned in his mind, if I was present, that I would do anything but catch him. And so time after time, I learned more and more that when he came to that landing and he swung around that railing, he was going to launch off of there, and Dad better be ready to catch him. You never have to worry about that with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is always, always there, open arms, cupped hands, arms to reach around. It's just the nature of the God we serve. Now, our kids were fortunate not just to have a dad, but a great mom, too, and she's here today. I want you to meet my wife, Doris, who's sitting in the second row there next to Dana. Honey, would you stand up and wave at folks? (laughs) And God's design, in order to convey this idea of parenting, nurturing, takes a mom and a dad and reflects his character. Wouldn't it be great if that's the picture we had always, in every life, every family? But we know that that's not always the way it is. We know it's not that way for some of you who are here today. And so again, the fallback position is, if we can't experience it on this level, because somebody maybe let us down, we let ourselves down or our own children and we're wondering how to get it back, the fallback position is the Father's arms. Then go from there. The idea that it's too late, it's never too late when the Father's arms are there. When his hands are cupped and ready to take us in, it's never too late. The setting of this passage is the foothills of the mountains known as the Abarim Range. Moses has been instructed to climb the tallest mountain in the range, Mount Nebo. I've stood on that mountain. It rises about 2,400 feet at its crest, about 300 feet taller than any other mountain by, by it, any other competitor in the range. And God informs Moses that he's 
going to look out over the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, and he's going to see the land of Canaan or the promised land that he's been leading the people of Israel to occupy. I've stood on that mountain where Moses stood, and it was there that Moses received the assurance that people would take possession of the land, but he would not be allowed to enter into it. Wow. Forty years of preparation in the wilderness, 40 years of wandering about, leading the people from Egypt to this brink of victory, and God says to Moses, no, you're not going in. In fact, he told him that he would die there. Now, there, when you think about that, you think that Moses could well have been very angry. But he had learned to trust, to fall into the Father's arms. And he did it in that moment. And as a good father of the people of Israel would do, with the knowledge of his pending death in mind, Moses carries out that one last leadership task. He gathers representatives from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he brings them around, and name by name, he begins to bless them. He pronounces a blessing on each one individually. Reuben was blessed with life over death. The work of Levi's hands were blessed along with a blessing of protection. Benjamin was identified as the beloved of the Lord. The land of Joseph was promised fruitfulness. His sons Ephraim and Manasseh were declared to be conquerors. Zebulun and Issachar were blessed with an abundance of both the desert and the seas. Gad was characterized as a lion, one who could choose the best land. Dan, on the other hand, would spring up like a lion cub and take a lesser portion. Naphtali was declared to be abounding with the favor of the Lord. And finally, Asher would be favored by all of his brothers who would bathe his feet in oil. I recalled the scene of our own family as we gathered around our dying father, who was 80 years old. About 40 or 45 of us in the living room, little tiny place where we grew up. And my mom and dad had lived there 40 years. We all took time to individually, everyone in the circle, 40-some people, say something to bless my dying dad. Then my dying dad took time to bless his family. Having mentioned all of the children, he exhorted us to stay true to the path of Jesus. For those that were not necessarily walking that way, he really urged them <laughs> to do that. Moses, having mentioned all 12 tribes, I can see it in my mind's eye, and I remember my dad as he did it, and he lifted a hand, and he kind of did the same thing that I envisioned Moses did on that mountain. He prayed a blessing over the whole family. And in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29, it says, Blessed are you, O Israel. He's saying, Blessed are you, my son. 
Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He, meaning our Father, is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will trample down their high places, which were their places of worship of false gods. This blessing was really more of the declaration of the greatness of the God, the Father they served, than the people themselves. Jeshurun, as they are called here, a poetic name for Israel in the Old Testament, which means upright one. It says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. The relationship between Jeshurun and their heavenly father had apparently become a bit strained, had become a bit strained, though. Again, maybe not unlike some of us right here this morning. You see, Jeshurun, as we read in the scriptures in verse 15 and 16 of this passage, grew fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them, and they rejected the rock, their Savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods, and they angered him with their detestable idols. I thought, you know what? That's just like they grew too big for their dad. I love it when our, 20, our youngest, who will be with us tonight at home, her name's Brianna, Pastor Thad and Dana know her well. Even at age 25, going on 26, she comes like she did the other night, and she snuggled her head down in my neck, and she goes, Dad, I love you. You're the best guy I know. Somehow Israel had come to the place, even in the face of God's faithfulness, where they thought, nah, I don't need that anymore. I'm too big for that. Daughters, you're never too big for that. Sons, you are never too big for that. If your dad will allow you to do it, and I know some dads don't, Walk up to him whether you're 3 or 23 or 43 or 53 or 63 and snuggle your head onto his shoulder and never grow too big for dad. They also turned to the hugs of other people. In verse 17, it says, They sacrificed false gods which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. And so they turned their affection away from dad and they turned it to other gods. In verse 18, it says, You deserted the rock who fathered you, you forgot the God who gave you birth. They deserted and forgot about dad. Now, this would be understandable of the children of Israel had they experienced an untrustworthy relationship with God, as many have experienced with their earthly fathers. 
It's a reality for too many. I remember one of my first experiences as a youth pastor at Shoreline Community Church. I actually had, uh, we had had a family gathering and my oldest sister had expressed to my father that when she came to Sunday school at a very young age and the Sunday school teacher mentioned that God was her father, it was the easiest thing in the world for her then to just follow him. And it was easy because she said, I thought of my dad and I thought, if God is like my dad, then that, that's easy. So here I am, a young youth pastor, and a young lady came into my office. She had been experiencing many challenges in her life, even as a high school student, struggling with her own identity, newborn Christian, lots of interpersonal relationship issues. And she sat down and she began to talk about it, and in my inexperience, I thought what she needs is to understand that God is her father. So I mentioned that to her. Her name was Dawn. I said, Dawn, you know God is your father. It produced an instantaneous, red-faced rage in this young woman. She slammed her fists down on my desk. And she looked at me through fiery eyes and she said, if God is my father, I want nothing to do with him. My father abandoned me. My father took me and smashed my face into a mirror. My father beat me. He didn't take care of me. If you're telling me that God is my father, and I knew the terrific challenge that lay before me as a pastor to try to somehow reshape this broken image of God our Heavenly Father that this girl carried with her at age 18. And if that didn't change, she would carry it right on into her adulthood. So you can understand with somebody like Don, but with my sister, for instance, if God's faithful, if he's there to catch you, if he's always there at the end of the rope, then why would you do what Jeshurun did? No, Dad, I'm too big for you. I'm turning to the hugs of others. I'm going to desert you and forget about you. With our Heavenly Father, the Bible teaches us there's dependability. In fact, one passage that an old hymn is based upon, Great is Thy Faithfulness, we sang it this morning in a chorus form, Great is Thy Faithfulness, there is no shadow. There's not even the hint of turning, Father, with you.
In this passage, it says he can sweep in like a mighty warrior, riding the clouds of heaven to help us. And when I read this, I immediately thought of a similar picture that's painted of Jesus in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. And it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he sat upon him who is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were as many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is a picture of Jesus coming back in victory. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads upon the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He treadeth upon the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now there's a picture of our Heavenly Father that's really tough to live up to. (laughs) The hero, always there, always performing, white robes, almost a picture of perfection. That's a tough one. I've not always been able to live up to that picture. But somehow, God has been gracious so that our son would write today, thanks for being a dad who exemplified what it means to follow Jesus. You see, dads, you don't always have to get it exactly right, like the guy on the white horse. You don't have to be the super dad that wears the Superman dad t-shirt all the time. In fact, the flip side of that verse we read earlier that says he's one whose loving arms reach around us. He's this dad who touches us and he hugs us and he takes care of us. I thought of God's word to David or through David in Psalm 139. You've searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. I love this passage of Scripture because it speaks of the hug of God. It speaks of God hemming me in to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back, and then his hand rests upon me. It's the hug of God 
Thad, you'll remember the hug lady at Shoreline. Dana, Monty was her name. We called her the hug lady because she would greet you at the base of the aisle every Sunday, and she would literally envelop you with not just her arms, but it was like her stout little body just kind of went all around you. <laughs> but Monty, Monty had a sound theology about hugs. And she would actually say it in various forms because she had memorized it about the learned value that she had come to appreciate about hugs. She'd say, we need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance. We need 12 hugs a day for growth. No batteries to wear out, no periodic checkups, low energy consumption, high energy yield, inflation proof, no monthly payments, no insurance requirements, theft proof, non-taxable, non-polluting, and of course, fully returnable. Hugging is healthy, it relieves tension, combats depression, reduces stress, improves blood circulation, it's invigorating, it's rejuvenating, it elevates self-esteem, it generates goodwill, it has no unpleasant side effects, it is nothing less than a miracle drug. Hugs are the perfect cure, she would say. I love it when science and medicine catch up with the Bible. Never try to make the Bible fit science and medicine. Always just wait for science and medicine to catch up with the Bible. Laughter does good like a medicine, the Bible says. We've learned now through science that that's absolutely true. Hugs are the same way. Did you know that a 20-second hug releases the bonding hormone and neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is one of nature's antidepressants and an anti-anxiety hormone? They help reduce blood pressure, stress, and encourage a general sense of well-being. Monty, the hug lady, knew her theology well. According to several studies in Canada, people who hugged a person daily found a reduced blood pressure, decreased levels of cortisol, which is a hormone released in response to stress. High levels of cortisol cause a decrease in bone formation, increase in blood sugar levels, and can lead to a muscle wasting. In contrast, hugs seem to give greater releases of this hormone we call oxytocin, the so-called love drug, free hugs don't sound like a bad idea. You go, yeah, but I don't have anybody around me to do that. That's when we go to our fallback position. Because my Father in heaven is always, always ready. He hems me in to the right and to the left. He leads me in front. He protects my back. 
and he lays his hand of blessing upon me, and if I'm careening to a fall, he's there to catch me. That is our heavenly Father. One of my child, cherished uh, childhood memories is riding home from visiting friends in the back of our 1953 Oldsmobile, the back or rear window of which was about as big as the front windshield. It had a little shelf back there behind, do you know, some of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They're not there anymore on the new cars, but on the old cars, that's where before the days of seatbelts, kids could lay <laughs> and you could look out that big picture window and watch the rainfall or the stars go by. And by the time I was home, I would most normally be asleep. And there was nothing better than hearing the slam of one car door and the opening of another and two great big arms reaching in underneath me and picking me up out of that window. And I'd snuggle my head into Dad's shoulder. He would take me inside and gently place me in bed and tuck me in. I've loved to duplicate that experience. With my own children. Our son, Aaron, who's the oldest, who's almost 40 years old, 39, 38. Nineteen seventy eight. <laughs> Thirty-eight. I mean, he's way too big for me to do that now. We were with him and his three children. One of our granddaughters is with us today and she's in children's church and He's got a little guy. He's our grandson of three to, to Aaron and Kelly. And he's kind of a small, wiry little guy. First thing he does when he sees Bumpa, as he calls me, is he runs and he jumps up just like his uncle used to do and his dad. He knows I'll catch him. And he wraps his spidery little legs around me. <laughs> And he puts his arms around my neck and he cuddles his head into my neck. And his dad will say, be careful, Parker. You know, don't hurt Bumpa. <laughs> and I'll say, oh, no. <laughs> it won't be much longer that we won't be able to do this anymore. It goes way too fast. So let the little spider climb up here all he wants. When Brianna, our daughter, who's 25, used to be sent to bed at her bedtime, and she'd say, can I crawl in your bed? So we'd let her start out, 
There was something secure about being in mom and dad's bed. Then after she'd fallen asleep, I would go in. And like my dad would take me out of the window of the old 53 olds, I would take her out of our bed. She'd cuddle up and she'd say, because she knew sometimes I had lower back stuff. I'd put my back out like lifting a box out of a car. She'd go, Daddy, don't hurt your back. (laughs) I'd say, oh, no, I'm fine. And she would whisper in my ear, I love you, Daddy. And one night when she did that, it was as if the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Les, don't ever get too big for your heavenly Father's arms. Do you know with Jeshurun, when they got too big for dad, they turned to other dads, other people, and they got too big for his hugs? He was still there. Because, see, our Heavenly Father's a face forward God. He was still there. So that at their first sign of repentance, of interest, of saying, Dad, been too long. He was there to reach around and take them in and give them his warm embrace. I learned as a small boy this psalm, which in the last couple of years has become reinvigorated in my memory and in my personal experience, because I needed very much the hugs of my Heavenly Father. I want you to read it with me. Some of you have memorized it. Some of you know it. Most people have seen it somewhere along the line. Probably one of the most popular or well-known passages of Scripture in the whole of the Bible. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Father wants to hug you today.
receive it.